When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Previously on The Age-Old Question. Sometimes a record label can be the source of innovation and genius. In their own ways, stars of the show. Okay, Clint, we're back for part two of the greatest record labels of all time. In part one, we talked about Motown and Sub Pop, two very different labels, but similar in some interesting ways. Before we get started, take a moment to subscribe to The Age-Old Question, if you haven't already. Thanks to everyone who writes in, shares comments, thoughts, and ideas. Please share this podcast with a friend. That's how we'll continue to grow and continue to be able to bring more fun episodes like this one. And now, part two of The Greatest Record Labels. Enjoy. Welcome to The Age-Old Question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, what is the greatest record label? Part two. That's the age-old question. So again, in part one, we talked about Motown and Sub Pop. Today, I want to start with this. Variety Magazine ran a poll of critics, influencers, artists, and music industry veterans asking this question, what is the best music label? In this Variety Magazine poll, Motown finished 10th. Sub Pop didn't even make the list. (laughs) Not even close. The number one record label, according to these music industry veterans, was Atlantic Records. Founded in 1947 by Ahmet Erdogan and Herb Abramson, it created and curated a legendary catalog of jazz, R&B, soul, and after 1967, when it was acquired by Warner Brothers, it expanded to pop and rock. Some highlights. One of the artists that helped put Atlantic on the map was an artist signed in 1952, Ray Charles, who quickly had crossover hits like what I'd say. Hey, mama, don't you treat me wrong. Come and love you, daddy, all night long, all right now. I got a woman. I got a woman way over town. That's good to me. Oh, yeah. And hallelujah, I just love her so. Let me tell you about a girl who know. She and my baby and she lives next door. Before the sun comes up, she bathed my coffee in my favorite cup. That's why I know, yes, I know. Hallelujah, I just love it so. Another important factor in the success of Atlantic Records was Tom Dowd, a recording engineer and producer who had more hits than George Martin and Phil Spector combined. What? Isn't that incredible? That's ridiculous. And so in the way that we talked about Motown, where one of the secrets of their success was this subconscious consistency of sound, 
the fact that Tom Dowd was behind so many of these great hits, I think is one factor for Atlantic's success. So we can simultaneously highlight some of his work for Atlantic while also highlighting some of the great records in the Atlantic catalog. In jazz, legends like John Coltrane, who spent a pivotal period with Atlantic in the late 50s and early 60s. Produced by Tom Dowd, Coltrane put out a record called My Favorite Things. Man, huge. Another band, you talked about it in a previous episode, The Drifters. A song like Save the Last Dance for Me. But don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're gonna be. So darling, save the last dance for me. By the way, we mentioned in part one the influence that Motown had on the Beatles. These Atlantic records had a huge influence on John and Paul. And the Drifters song is one they would play during the Let It Be sessions in January 1969. It's a song they probably hadn't played in years, but they fall back into it so effortlessly and the great harmonies between John and Paul. And then another song by the lead singer of the Drifters, Benny King, Stand By Me. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see this is a song that also had a big influence on John Lennon. And he comes back to it in 1975. Other artists on Atlantic. How about Wilson Pickett? Mustang Sally. Otis Redding, who recorded on the Stax label but was distributed and put out through Atlantic. I know you and I share a love of this song, Try a Little Tenderness. Oh, man. Oh, she may be weary. Them young girls, they do get weary. Wearing that same old shaggy dress, yeah. But when she gets weary, try a little tenderness. One of the great artists of all time, and one of the artists on Atlantic Records, was Aretha Franklin. In 1966, 
her contract with Columbia expired. And Columbia didn't know what to do with her. They saw her as a jazz singer. But Amit Erdogan signed Aretha and sent her down to Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama to record with the producer Tom Dowd. Like Motown, that studio had a house band called The Swampers. The Swampers recorded more than 500 albums, including 75 gold and platinum hits. Aretha would arrive in Muscle Shoals to work with the Swampers and would be stunned to realize that this house band was a bunch of skinny white dudes. <laughs> Together with Aretha, they would record Respect. You make me feel like a natural woman. Looking out on the morning rain. I used to feel so uninspired. And when I knew I had to face another day. Lord, it made me feel so Think. You may think, think, think about what you're And Soul Serenade. Ahmet Erdogan, the label's founder, moved Atlantic into rock music. When Eric Clapton's new band, Cream, spent five days with Tom Dowd in May 1967 at Atlantic Studios in New York. The album, Disraeli Gears, includes the track Sunshine of Your Love. It's getting me dawn When lights close the tired This begins Atlantic's rock era which ultimately would include this band. And this band. In 1971, Ahmed Erdogan convinces Mick Jagger to have the Rolling Stones distributed to Atlantic. The first album to be distributed by Atlantic, Sticky Fingers, from 1971, featuring this song, recorded in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, just like Aretha Franklin, like Wilson Pickett, and so many other Atlantic record artists. But back to Eric Clapton. Three years after recording Disraeli Gears, Eric Clapton goes back into the studio with Tom Dowd, this time in Miami, when Eric had put together a band that he called Derek and the Dominoes. Here's a great story from Tom Dowd and Eric Clapton, remembering how they added a fifth member of Derek and the Dominoes. The phone rang, and it was Dwayne calling to find out if, indeed, Eric and the band were in the studio. And I said, yes. He said, I'm going to be playing down there tomorrow night at the convention center and uh, I, I would love to come up to the studio afterwards. And I said, oh, that'll be fine, I'm pretty sure. And said, just let me check with Eric. 
When I heard Wilson Pickett's version of Hey Jude, I knew that Tom would be involved in the recording of that. And I asked him who it was, and he said, this is this guy called Skydog Allman. I said, Eric, Dwayne Allman was on the phone. He and the brothers are playing here tomorrow, and he was hoping he could come by. And Eric looked at me, he said, you mean the chap who played on the back end of the Wilson Pickett Hey Jude record, and he plays me Dwayne's solo? And I said, yes. He said, he's playing here tomorrow? I said, he's doing an outdoor concert. He said, we have to go see him. We went down there and sat in the front just behind us in what would normally be the security line. Dwayne opened his eyes during a solo, looked down and stopped dead in his tracks. And from there on in, uh, it was like two big wide-eyed kids looking at each other. And I, and, I watched, and I was blown away by this band. It was so fantastic. And so we invited them all back to the studio. And we jammed and Dwayne became, for that period of time, like the fifth member of, of Derek and the Dominoes. In 1969, Erdogan signed a new supergroup called Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Amazingly, the trio had auditioned for the Beatles' new label, Apple, but the Beatles passed. They were about to sign with Columbia Records, but Erdogan convinced their manager, a young David Geffen, that he would give them unlimited creative freedom. It's getting to the point where I'm no fun anymore. I'm sorry Sometimes it hurts So badly I must cry out loud Can you believe that? That the Beatles passed on Crosby, Stills, and Nash? I didn't actually know that. That's... Whoops. I feel like they would be right up their alley, too. You make it A little less bottom end on the... Obviously, a lot more could be said about Atlantic Records and about Ahmet Erdogan. There's a great documentary called Atlantic Records, The House That Ahmet Built. I recommend it. But unlike Motown and Sub Pop, for that matter, that were very genre-specific, what Ahmet was able to do through Atlantic Records was curate this incredible catalog of jazz, of R&B, of soul, of rock and roll, and ultimately the sound of Laurel Canyon. That collection of artists that I've just mentioned, for me, is enough to put them in the conversation for greatest record label. Yeah, I don't think there's, I mean, I don't know if I would put them at number one, but man, you read that list and it's like, woof, also tough to compete with. What's the fourth record label that we're going to talk about in this series? None other than from Memphis, Tennessee, Sun Records. Now, Sun Records was the brainchild of the one and only Sam Phillips. And he launched this company in February of 1952. And he named it Sun Records as a sign of his perpetual optimism. Love it. He rented a small space at 706 Union Avenue for his all-purpose studio. I'm going to rattle off four of the artists. Number one, the king, 
Elvis Presley. You ain't nothing but a hound dog to cry all the time. You ain't nothing but a hound dog crying all the time. Well, you ain't never caught a rabbit and you ain't no friend of mine. Number two, Carl Perkins. Well, I'm sitting here one fat spot on my coat. Number three, Johnny Cash. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. And number four, Jerry Lee Lewis. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much of love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Now, you might know, Richard, that all four of these artists appear in what is known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Are you familiar with this? Yes. It takes place on December 4th, 1956. So Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis are recording in Sun Studios. Elvis Presley shows up with his girlfriend. And later, Johnny Cash shows up. And so you have all four of these monster Sun record recording artists in the same place at the same time. And they jammed. And that's a true story. From that, a million-dollar quartet was born. Let's go back to Sun Records. So, do you know how Elvis was discovered? No. I haven't seen that movie yet. Have you seen it? I have not. I watched the trailer last night, and I'm like, oh, my Lord, I need to see this. So, interestingly enough, Sam worked as a disc jockey at WLAY in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, before moving to Memphis. So, Elvis did his first ever show when he was 10 years old, sang one song at the Mississippi-Alabama Dairy Show. Eventually, walked into Sam Phillips's recording studio in Memphis, paid $4. He was recording two songs for his mother. Evening shadows make me blue When each weary day He sings these two songs. You know, Sam's pretty impressed. Comes back to cut two more songs. After that second time, Sam Phillips is like, hey kid, leave your phone number. That was in January of 1954. Signed Elvis at the age of 19. Elvis happened to be working at the Crown Electric Company at the time. Quit his job that day and never looked back. Well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. first actual release of Elvis Presley was in 
July of 1954, and it's one side was That's All Right, and the other side is Blue Moon of Kentucky. Now, That's All Right, let's hear a clip of that. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, Mama. Just any way you do that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, Mama. Any way do. In that first recording session, he's playing with Scotty Moore on guitar and Bill Black on upright bass. Now, normally in country music at this time, there weren't drums. So they're messing around, and in between takes, Elvis starts kicking in an up-tempo version of the song, That's All Right. And Sam Phillips is like, whoa, 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 hold it, hold it, fellas. Let me record this. Records it. That's the A-side. Blue Moon of Kentucky is the B-side. Blue Moon, keep on shining bright. Take on the Blue Moon, keep shining bright. Cut to August of 1954. Johnny Cash comes into Memphis. Instead of becoming an appliance salesman, which was what he moved to Memphis for, he joins a band with Luther Perkins and Marshall Grant and was signed to Sun Records. Everybody knows where you go when the sun goes down. I think you only live to see the lights uptown. I wasted my time when I would try, try, try. Cause when the lights have lost their glow, you cry, cry, cry. Now in 1955, in March, Carl Perkins enters the scene and records some songs at the studio, but didn't want to sign him to Sun Records because he didn't want to have two artists that were similar. And you know, we keep talking about this, the influence that these record labels, whether it was Motown or Atlantic, had on John and Paul, the Beatles. Yeah. These guys had a massive influence on the Beatles, Carl Perkins and Elvis in particular. And and each other. For example, Carl Perkins wrote the song Blue Suede Shoes, right? One of the most famous rockabilly songs of all time. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Now go, cat, go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoes. He's at a club. He's watching the guy and a girl dance in front of him. Between songs, he hears the guy goes, uh-oh, don't step on my suede's. He noticed that the guy was wearing blue suede shoes with a scuff mark on one. He thought to himself, my God, uh, with a pretty little thing like that, all you can think about is your stupid shoes. And so he actually wrote the song then. That song would change everything for the record label. Elvis made the song famous. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and I go, can't go, but don't you. Now, it used to be Go Man Go, and Sam Phillips is the one who said, yeah, you should make it Go Cat Go. Well, as we often do, let's bring it back to the Beatles. So in the way we played that clip of the Beatles in the Let It Be session, 1969, they're just jamming and like, what should we play? And they start playing Save the Last Dance for Me. Well, in the same session, they break into a jam of Blue Suede Shoes. Well, you can do anything, they Again, this is the school that the Beatles went to. Johnny Cash recorded Folsom Prison Blues in 1955. At this point, Sun Records has become 
just a hotbed for this R&B country melding. And what Sam Phillips did was he saw the music of the African-American community and realized that he needed a white kid to sell it right to white America. And so that's what Elvis Presley was. He was like the bridge between black music of the time and getting it to the wide audience. Right. And really, Sam Phillips can be credited with that. I'm a country boy from Alabama and later Tennessee. And I was exposed to an awful lot of beautiful music, I thought, is black spirituals, uh, gospel singing. In my mind, something for the younger people. There was not anything on the market at that time. I'm going back now to the 40s and 50s. You had nothing uh, that, that young people could call their own. And the vitality I saw in the music that I had grown up with, uh, I just felt that young people would, would view it and say, uh, I don't have anything against it. Maybe I can like it. And I knew they would like the spontaneity of it. That's Sam Phillips at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony in 1986. And by the way, the class of 1986 of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is incredible. You ready for this? Chuck Berry, James Brown, Ray Charles, Sam Cooke, Fats Domino, the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, Little Richard. That's ridiculous. And one of the million-dollar quartet we haven't talked about, Jerry Lee Lewis. Let's talk about him for a second. Incredible piano player. was nicknamed The Killer. Had hits like Great Balls of Fire. Gracious, great balls of fire. Whole lot of shaking going on. Come on over, baby. Whole lot of shaking going on. Chantilly Lace. Chantilly Lace. Pretty face. Hanging down. Wiggling a walk. Giggling a talk. It's gonna make that world go But really, the standout from the Sun Records era is Elvis Presley. And man hit after hit after hit of which he didn't write a single one so in that respect it's similar to motown too well they're taking the voice the singer right and it's actually a short period of time that elvis is on sun records rca buys out the sun records contract in 1956 and so a lot of those number one hits come out on rca but sun records is in a lot of ways the incubator of early rock and roll. And then Elvis, of course, becomes a legend with songs like Jailhouse Rock. One through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there, they began to wail. The band was jumping and the joint began to swing. You should have heard this knocked out jailbird sing that rock. Everybody let Cruel. You know I can be found sitting home all alone. If you can't come around, at least please tell the phone. Don't be cruel to who heart is true. Heartbreak Hotel. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street that Heartbreak Hotel. He had so many number one hits and crossed over into the movies, crossed over into pop culture as we know it. I mean, one of the most famous lines of all time, Elvis has left the building. Elvis has left the building. 
is just universally known among. I think my kids say that actually, and maybe not even knowing what they're saying. They don't even know who Elvis is. Yeah. They do, but yeah, it's amazing. One interesting thing was that Roy Orbison was on Sun Records. Oh, he's another legend. At a certain point, Roy Orbison was so down on his luck that he sold all of his songs to Sam Phillips. And so Sam Phillips is is credited as the songwriter for a lot of the Roy Orbison catalog. Well, those early Roy Orbison Sun Records songs, he's trying to sound a lot like Elvis. Well, you can't be my loving, baby. You ain't got the style. I'm gonna get some real gone love that'll drive a cool cat wild. Gonna move, roll and ride on down. Clint, can we go to the comments? I of course we can go to the comments. Let's do this. Let's go to the comments. We got a comment from Will in response to our episode, Who Walked Away at Their Peak, that we should have mentioned Cat Stevens. Oh, my goodness. That might be a bonehead. Let's play the bonehead <laughs> theme Let's song. Let's just play it. Cat Stevens is a really interesting example because in 1977, the singer-songwriter genre was at its peak, and Cat Stevens was really among the most successful of them all. He had hits, of course, like Wild World. Now that I've lost everything to you, you say you want to start something new, and it's breaking my heart, you're leaving, maybe I'm grieving. Moonshadow. I'm being followed by a moonshadow. Moonshadow, moonshadow. Leaping and hopping on a moonshadow. Moonshadow, moonshadow. Peace train. Out on the edge of darkness, there rides the peace train. Oh, peace train, take this country. Come take me home again. The first cut is the deepest. Oh my Lord. First cut is the deepest. Baby, I know the first cut is the deepest. Because when it comes to being lucky, she's cursed. When it comes to loving me, she's worse. And here's a song that I don't know about you, but I learned to sing this song in fourth grade music class morning has broken oh my god yeah i did too morning has broken like the first morning blackbird has spoken like the first bird but in 1977 at the height of his powers and popularity cat stevens converted to islam he took the name yusuf islam and auctioned his guitars for charity. He left his music career to devote himself to philanthropic causes in the Muslim community. It doesn't get any more walk away at your peak totally. than that. I mean, that is that should have been number one. We should also mention our episode 42, which was the best stage names of all time. We didn't mention Cat Stevens. No. But that's a great stage name. He was born Stephen Dimitri Georgiou. But he called himself Cat Stevens. Side note, when we got our, our dogs, we always name them something famous, yeah. right? We named our cat Snoop Dogg, 
And then we got our next dog, and we were so close to naming Cat Stevens. Oh, you should. <laughs> Which would have been amazing. It would have been good. Uh, anyway, sorry. The difference between Bill Withers and Cat Stevens is that Cat Stevens did return to music, and he now uses the stage name Yusuf Cat Stevens. Clint, so far in this multi-episode series of what's the best record label of all time, we've talked about four record labels. We talked about Motown, Sub Pop, Atlantic, and we've talked about Sun Records. There is so much more to talk about. We're so grateful that you spend time with this podcast. We ask that if you like it, which we hope you do, that you'll share it with just one person. That's how we're going to be able to continue to do what we're doing. And a five-star review doesn't hurt. It actually helps the algorithm. So, yeah, however that works. We hope you had fun, as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.